0: It's so eerie. I'm sitting here in the mountains of western North Carolina. I'm listening to forecasts of this hurricane Florence. Man, I'm getting calls and we're getting texts from friends and family. How you doing? How you doing up there? Now, we normally don't worry about storms or tornadoes. The mountains protect us. They knock these storms down. But this one is different. It's a killer. We live 200 miles from Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, but the winds and the rain are going to reach us. So we're stocking up on groceries and gasoline and water, and we're making plans. Our problem with storms is the winds. They knock down trees and knock down branches, which knock down the power lines. So we'll have the generator ready, And the camp stove, flashlights, thermoses with ice. Because if we lose power, it'll be days and days till we get it back. Most likely because all of the local power company trucks are down on the coast helping them where it's worse off getting their power back. So it's an adventure. We did this every year in Fort Lauderdale when we were threatened by storms, hurricanes. And there we had to Bolt metal panels over each of the windows in our house. Now that was a pain. So I'll have buckets of water in the bathrooms, and the kitchen. You know, so when we lose power, we also lose power to the pump in the well. So we have no water. So no AC, no heat, no lights, no water. It's sort of like camping. Pans of water next to every sink. And next to them, a bar of Anashira soap. Unless we lose our roof, we can always get clean. I thank Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts. You support Anashira by buying our soaps, and I can continue to tell my stories. Now, don't forget to enter discount code STORIES15 for your 15% discount. As my dad used to say, a penny saved is a penny earned. So, earn 15%. Now, let me get back to this week's story from Anashira. I decided to take a new job with a company out in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. So I moved out there, and I continued cycling. I missed all my old buddies, of course. I did miss Los Angeles. And I joined a team and rode with them for a while, and then I found another bunch of guys, and I liked them better, so I joined them and uh, started riding, be racing the weekends. I didn't do all that great. And at the same time, you know, I mentioned I was working for National Car Rental. Well, I'd left Hertz to go over there and work. National was a company that was culturally much different from Hertz. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was in Reno, Nevada, running that operation with Hertz, my managers and I worked. We had to clean up this place. It was a mess when we got there, and we worked long hours every day work, weekends, worked late in the evening. Now, we'd turn, I'd turn around about 4 or 5 o'clock, and the facility next to us was National Car Rental. And my equivalent there, the city manager, Peter, man, I'd see him driving out 4 o'clock, 4.30. He'd come in late in the mornings. I thought, man, I want his job. So... An ex-executive from Hertz, a guy by the name of Wasik, bought National Car Rental. It was struggling. And he brought a bunch of people that he knew into work for him. People like him. Hertz people. He brought in my old boss. This was a guy who convinced me to leave Hertz and move over to National Car Rental. So then I found this thing called the home office. I said, what is the home office? This is a headquarters, man. We got to be tough. We can't be a home office. So that was indicative of the culture war I would have and other Hertz people would with people that had been with National. Work was stressful. And, uh, you know, before it had been a battle between Hertz and our competitors. Now it was a battle between us and the old National culture and our competitors. I did this every day and I still managed to get out somehow on thursdays tuesdays and thursdays we had big team rides and we would go off riding around lake minnetonka and out in the countryside places like chaska and it's all hilly and we'd have hard team rides and we'd have team rides on saturdays or we'd race on the weekends one of our training rides we'd leave minneapolis early in the morning and ride our bikes over to the mississippi river and keep going and ride down to a town called Red Wing and have breakfast. Then we'd ride home 50 miles. Man, it was work. You ever spend a winter in Minnesota? You ever spend part of a winter in Minnesota? Ever see 30 degrees below zero in the mornings? Ever see three-week periods where it never gets above zero? ever see a monster snowstorm on Halloween night that dumps three feet of snow, and that winter is so cold that that snow stays on the ground on small streets, stays on cars, driveways, until spring hits? Well, yeah, I did all of that. Man, we trained riding our mountain bikes on days where it was above 10 below zero. That was about our limit. I said, I'm not going out below that ever again i did it once we rode in our garages on what they call rollers stationary rollers where you just ride your bike we went to the gym we trained on uh, training bikes in the gym we did everything we could to stay fit they had railroad tracks a stretch uh, that was about 30 miles long they pulled the rails and made it a mountain bike uh trail so we rode on that in the snow and the winters we did everything to try to stand to shape and my first race the next year was in april and i did what was called a criterium and it was around a city park and what you do is a number of laps around specified number of laps and i suffered i suffered and it started to snow and i suffered even more after the snow started I remember I got home that day and I sat at my desk. I put my head on my hands and I thought, man, I'm not getting anywhere. This is no good. I see no progress. Writing is tough. I thought about how I'd run into Larry Rubin out in L.A. before I left. He had appeared out of nowhere, returned from Italy. I was so glad to see him again. I asked him everything about what he'd done and about his life there. He looked good. He looked strong. He rode better than any one of these people I'd I'd seen out there. And that was in like six months. And uh, so I asked him about it. And he said, Ernie, it was great. Told me about it. Said the food's great. People are great. There are not a lot of people. You ride hard. You train hard. You know, you race on the weekends, you eat great food, you should go. I said, oh man, that's not for me. He says, no, no. The founder and the coach's name is Ron, Ron Palazzo. He's Italian and he's won lots of races. And he gave me a brochure of this camp. It was called Velo Veneto. That was the name of the team. Velo means bicycle, bicycle. And Veneto means the region, the Veneto region. It's between the Dolomite Mountains and the Adriatic Sea. So I'm not good enough for that, Larry. They'd tear my heart out over there. Larry, he'd given me a brochure. and it was no color, nothing fancy. It's on this simple brown paper. So I, I read it. I take it out that night. I'm sitting at my desk. It says, Bicycle Racing in Italy. You dream about pinning on a number in Europe? The one where you're racing across cobbles, making the peloton suffer in the gutter, then posting your hands up in the air at the finish line? Well, no, I didn't care about pinning on a number or racing across cobbles or making anybody suffer in the gutter, and I had no aspirations about lifting up my hands in victory on the finish line. But I did like Italy. And so, you know, for the heck of it, I gave a call to Renato. Now, he was living in Buffalo. He used to live there in New York in the winters. And he'd go back to Italy in the spring and summers. So I get a hold of him. I say, hey, Renato, my name is Ernest. And I'm a friend of Larry Rubin. And he told me I should go train with you. He reflects for a second and he says, I remember Larry. He's a great kid. He's very talented. He could have a future if he wanted to. It's all about his heart, Larry. So what do you do? So I told him I worked and I raced. And he says, how good are you? I said, I'm not very good. I work hard, but I'm not very good. And I don't seem to be getting better. He says, no, you should come. You work with me. We, uh, We train hard. We train all week. We race on the weekends. You eat good food, you meet good people, it's good, it's healthy life. Come out. I said, well, I don't know. He says, come for come for at least a week, longer. You'll love it. I said, well, well. And I say, man, almost without thinking, Renato, I'll do it. I'll be out there around the end of May. Ernesto, perfect. Come in May. Great time. We'll train during the week, race on weekends. Stay at least two weekends if you can. All right. I couldn't believe it. I told my wife I was going to Italy. I sent in my registration to Velo Veneto. Sent him a check. I bought a ticket to Munich. Got a cheap fare. Man, I was psyched. But I was nervous too. Was I in over my head? Well, too late now. I told my teammates I was Going to Italy to train and race. Some looked at me like I was crazy. And others thought it was a great idea. Greatest thing in the world. I packed my bike, my clothes. I got on the plane to Munich. I'd called people I know at Europe Car. That was our sister company. And they set up a car for me. So I get into Munich airport. Got my bicycle case. Got my bag. Go pick up my car. Man, it's a big Mercedes. And off I go. Now, you don't think it's that far, Munich to Venice, a bit of Bavaria, hop through Austria, cross a bit of northern Italy. Well, it's 340 miles. I drove to a little town called Castelcuco in the province of Treviso. This was not a tourist destination. It had a population of 1,900 people, and that hadn't changed in the last 150 years. So I find the hotel. It's a small place. Hotel Monte Grappa. It's named for the mountain right next to the town of Castelcuco. And I find Renato. Oh my God, he's so Italian. So nice. It was early on a Friday morning and I'd driven all night. Ernesto, let's go have an espresso. Then we'll eat some breakfast. Then you put your bike together. We leave at about 10 for a training ride. Redato, man, I haven't slept in 36 hours. It's not a long workout. It will refresh you. Tomorrow, race day. Now, that coffee was wonderful. And I did not want to waste a moment. So I got set in my room, single room, no TV, no phone, bed, and a bathroom. Perfect. I go down, I set up my bike, and uh, I meet the other people. Man, there's some top-notch riders, I can tell. There's some great bicycles. There's some people that look fit, fit, fit. There was a kid there named Jeff. He reminded me a lot of Larry Rubin. He was young. His father had sent him there. Huh, yeah, I've heard that one before. To train and race. So off we went on our training ride. This was Friday, and we did a pre-race day workout, spinning. Now, I thought I knew how to spin, but this was a whole other matter. Put that in a very small gear, he said, and spin your legs for speed. So off we went. Not 10 miles an hour. We're going 15. We're going 20. Going 25. Our legs are moving like crazy. We're going 30. 35 miles an hour. Man, he says, this will get rid of the lactic acid, loosen you up. You'll be ready to race. So we stopped at a cafe on the way home. Jeff and Ron and I, and I ordered a cappuccino. Ron looks at me as if I'm something crazy. He says, Ernesto, no one orders a cappuccino in Italia after 10 o'clock in the morning. No one who understands. You drink an espresso. Or if you want some milk in it, some foam, you order a macchiato. You know macchiato? Macchiato. I said, sure, he says. Uh, you don't know a real macchiato. Watch this. So I order one. The waiter makes the espresso. He steams a small pitcher of milk. He pushes a small dollop of foam on the coffee. No, don't drink it yet. Watch. Slow down. We're not in America. See the edges of the froth? Yes. What do you see? Uh, you see the edge of the foam around the cup? It's turned brown from the coffee. Yeah, I see. That's why it's called macchiato. From the Italian verb macchiare, which means to stain. So it's called the stained one is this coffee. Man, now taste it. I did. You like it? Yeah, oh my God, I love it. I love it. And that was it. A lesson from Renato. Lessons every day. I had lessons every day on Italian life. Now, the hotel, this Hotel Monte Grappa, had a bar and had its own restaurant. And it was small. It was owned and run by the Bolson family. They'd bought it in 1971. And the camp provided three meals a day in the hotel at the restaurant. So for dinner, we would have soup, a pasta dish, or a risotto, We'd have a fish or chicken dish, then some kind of beef or pork dish, and always a salad, delicious. And uh, we'd sit at a long table, eat family style, big plates, pass them around. And they told me that first night, Ernie, save room, save some room. There's more coming. And they were right. I find out that Luca Bolson, the owner, was also the chef. And his whole family works at the hotel. And I think some extended family, some uncles and cousins. And they grew many of their vegetables right there in a the garden they had. Made all of their own pastas. Rolled them out themselves every day. They would buy grape juice, vats of it, and make their own wines. And white and red. And they made much of their own sausages and made all of the pastries. And it was delicious. It was like eating at a first-class restaurant every meal. So I was going to stay here for 11 days. And it seemed like heaven. I figured I could stay there forever. And I find out that Jeff, this superstar, is here with his girlfriend, Jody. They're both about 18. I don't think Jeff's father knows that she's there. They don't have a car So I do, and I'm a very popular man around there. And Renato says after dinner, tonight I will show you Azolo. We will drive over and sit for a drink in the main piazza. Dress nicely. I drive the four of us over to the piazza of our neighboring town. Azolo was the home to the poet, the English poet, Robert Browning. It's built on a large hill with a castle built above it. On a larger hill, the fortress of Azolo. So we drive up, we get out, walk around a little bit, get a table at an outdoor cafe on the square. Renato says, "Be careful about what you order." We're gonna be here a while, so it's too late for coffee. Renato, he says, "I recommend chocolate con compaña." Hot chocolate, not too exciting. I thought, but this was not what I'd grown up with. It's made with real pieces of chocolate, vanilla, sugar, and milk. It's so thick that you put an espresso spoon in it and it'll stand up. And then it has a mound of whipped cream on the top. It's so thick you can eat it with that spoon. Now, Italians have cooking classes simply on how to make this drink. That's how important it is to them. So we sat for an hour or so, and we watched the people, and I nursed my Chocolata. Now the people walked around the piazza. The tables were all crowded. It was a lively, peaceful place. And everyone dressed like,
1: well, they looked like
0: models, women and men. Why does everyone look so great? I asked Renato. Must be a lot of money in this town, huh? Well, yeah, there's some, but an Italian would rather die than go out looking bad. You see, some of these young people, some of these guys, they maybe have one great pair of slacks, a couple of silk shirts, a pair of designer shoes, and they wear it again and again, day after day. But they look great. That's Italia. So next day, Saturday, was my first race day. Renato and I met early. We have a cup of cappuccino because it's early enough, and he got my Italian racing license for me. So we had breakfast, did some stretching, and the kitchen prepared us well—a meal of risotto. We'd eat it cold. Some fruit. We took it with us and could eat it before the race. Have plenty of energy. And Enato explains a tradition of amateur racing in Italy. You see, Ernesto, every town and every city has a patron saint. And that saint has a special day that is a celebration. Now when a town has its saints' day, it sponsors a number of amateur bike races. And it has a fiesta and it has bands and so this race generally has is a circuit that goes around a specific route, a number of laps. And it'll go through the main town, right in front of the finishing stage, goes through a number of times, and it'll finish there on the main square. So there are different classes, and I raced in a class that's called Veterani, which is men 40 to 47. I feel pretty good about it until Renato tells me that many of the competitors in these races, they're ex-professionals. They've raced their whole lives, and they do it now for fun, not for money. He says, "Do not do anything stupid and cause a crash. No, sir. I didn't feel so confident after that. So we get to this town. I ate my risotto, I rode some warm up i get my get myself mentally prepared. They call my race. And you know, I expect maybe 30, 40 guys. That's a pretty good field here in the States for this kind of race. But there were nearly 100. Man, it was a big group. And these guys go off, and they're not fooling around. They go out like bats out of hell. And I'm out of my league. I hang on to the edge of the pack for dear life. It was a losing battle. I'm hanging on. I'm, I'm dying. And after four laps of this five-lap race... These two Italian guys, they come up next to me and they're talking and talking. I say, "Ah, ah, ah, I don't speak any Italian. Io sono Americano. And they go, Ah, Americano! They understood. So, one of them gets behind me. He starts pushing me. And these guys, man, they make sure I stay with the pack till the end of the race. And uh, they got me there. So, Renato comes up and You know, he helped my ego a little bit. He said, you did good, Ernesto. It was a tough race. It was. So I finished my first bicycle race in Europe, in Italia, the home of bicycle racing. I stayed in Castelcucco, and I trained and I raced for 11 days. I got stronger. I got faster. And I wished I could have stayed for longer. On my last day, Renato says, Ernesto, it was a great pleasure to have you here. Come back, my friend. So I drive back to Munich. I fly back to Minneapolis. And I go back to work. And I'm back to riding with my team and my friends. They were pretty impressed. I had improved. They wanted to know everything, just as I had been when I talked to Larry Rubin when he returned back to California. Well, I think I've gone long enough today. I thank you for supporting Anashira. Oh, I have a new email address. It's ernie at anashira.com, E-R-N-I-E. So, goodbye info. Hello, Ernie. I have a couple of questions this week from Mac P. somewhere in Wyoming. He writes, It's not that we don't like hearing from you, but what are Dawn's thoughts on goats and soap making? Well, Mac, she said to tell you, I'm surprised by how likable those goats are. They're actually sweet. She goes on, I didn't know handcrafted soap would make such a difference in how my skin feels, so soft, a huge difference. I love these soaps. And Mac adds in a second question, can she make a guest appearance? Well, Mac, she said, no, no guest appearances. I'm a behind the scenes person. And Mac, I've tried to get her on this, but maybe sometime in the future. So folks, send me your questions. Use our new email address. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, I'm asking Ross Freed and a couple of my other old cycling buddies to make an appearance in my next story from Anashira.